how emotional I was, being social, wanting to have connections with many people. I always thought that was like such a weak point that I had. Lean into that. That those are strengths. Not everyone has those strengths. You can make a career out of that. Hey everyone, this is Shane on Back to Basic Breath. Today, our guest speaker is Amanda. She is one of my very, very best friends from high school. I'm super excited to have her here with us today, sharing her story and just doing a deep dive into therapy, into psychology, and some differences between what Amanda's up to and what I'm up to. So I'm super thrilled to have you here today. Hi, Hi, how are you doing? Good. I'm so excited. So I wanted to give you this chance to just share a little bit more about yourself past our friendship before we start chit-chatting. Yeah, so I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. And we know each other from high school, as you mentioned. I think you know, high school was, at least for me, I, I enjoyed our high school experience. We had a lot of highs and lows together, a lot of crazy memories to look back on fondly. And I do think that, you know, where we came from, our, you know, town and our school plays kind of a big role in where I am today. And so maybe that'll come back later uh, in the podcast, but where I am right now. So I am currently a master's student at Uh, the University of Pennsylvania, and I am studying mental health counseling. And it's a two-year program, and hopefully by the end of it, I will get uh, my license uh, to be a professional counselor. And, you know, I still, down the road, I have a few different paths I think I could take ultimately career-wise, but I know that I want to be working with people in some capacity and focused on mental health. That has been a huge part of my life and psychology as well. So that's kind of what has landed me here, which I can I can get into that a little bit more uh, later. But yeah, so I'm living in Philadelphia right now. It's been it's been weird with COVID, of course. My classes are all virtual, so I haven't actually gotten to get out there and do any field work yet, but I have been really enjoying it so far. So yeah, I'm happy. I'm excited to talk more about my experience. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so good. Even just like Hearing you say all of our crazy (laughs) memories, it just instantly puts a giant (laughs) smile on my face. (laughs) Yeah, Amanda and I, and just just as Amanda was saying that a lot of our experiences together and separate in high school, the good and the bad have led her to where she is today. And I can say the same for myself. I think a big reason why we became so close past the fact that we just had a ball together was that we were... We really were curious, always curious about our experiences and what we were feeling and what the hell was going on with us in high school. And it's been so beautiful and exciting and not surprising at all to see where we've all landed and the growth and self-discovery we've all gone through. And it's just been such an honor to be in your life and see you grow as a woman and a friend. Kind of explain a little more about what mental health counseling means, sort of like a definition and maybe any differences between that and other forms 
of counseling or therapy that we see? Yeah, um, sure. That's um, a great question because even something that we're learning, we've learned in my program, and that's, you know, a group of people who have sought out this career path, is that there's it's hard to distinguish between um, the different mental health professions. And I think that's something that the average person might not know the distinguishing factors because oftentimes different titles are used interchangeably and there's a lot of overlap. So I think it is helpful to break it down a little bit. So basically becoming a professional counselor is a little bit different than being a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a social worker, although all of those professions share a lot of similarities. So therapy and being a therapist is sort of an umbrella term. Almost all of those professions, if not all of them, can and do to some extent practice therapy, talk therapy, counseling, that kind of thing. I would say the main difference aside from probably the most obvious difference in is that psychiatrists can prescribe medication. That is not true of uh, just professional counselors or social workers. It all depends on sort of the licensure and degree that you have. But I would say, aside from that, you know, distinction, that there's different sort of orientations that these professions take. So psychiatrists and psychologists, they they focus kind of more on this medical model, which is sort of diagnosing and, and looking into the biology of things. And they focus on sort of treatment through medication and that kind of thing. Although a lot oftentimes, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists do use talk therapy in conjunction with medication which is proven to be really helpful, more helpful most times than just medication alone. Whereas counselors take more of a wellness-based approach. So counselors are interested in sort of looking at the strengths of clients and oftentimes they focus on prevention. So people, you know, counselors encourage everyone to come to therapy, even if there, you know, isn't a huge problem presenting problem that's going on because really the goal is to like get people to a place where they're functioning at their like peak functioning to like use all their strengths to sort of help them achieve maximum mental health and wellness and so you know obviously counselors have people that come to them when they are feeling um when they're having you know issues in their lives as well it's not just sort of for people that it's it's for it's for anyone really and it's important yeah like they also treat people that you know might come with depression or anxiety or any host of mental health issues but that being said it's sort of a different approach and different orientation and you know social workers they focus on social justice and public policy and all the factors that may be contributing to why certain individuals are you know unequally affected by a lot of these social issues. And so they focus more holistically on kind of the combination of like society, societal issues and mental health. So that's a general overview. That was a little long winded, but it's, it can be really confusing. So right now I am on the track to be a professional counselor. However, maybe down the road, I could get a PhD if I want to dive a little deeper into academia and research and sort of policy change, that kind of thing. But um, that's where I'm at right now. So hopefully that was, (laughs) hopefully that clarified it a little bit. I'm not sure. No, yeah, I think that was a really great explanation. And some takeaways 
that I had just to kind of summarize is essentially the biology and the talk therapy approach treatment through diagnosis and medication versus this wellness-based approach in counseling. That's more for everyone because it is, like you said, working on prevention, which could benefit pretty much everyone, but as well as those dealing with specific illnesses like depression, anxiety, et cetera. And then, right, like you said, the last thing, social workers are working on society. Yeah. Yep. And you, put mental it, health. you put it really well there. That's a cool. good summary of all that. And I think, and and the way you explained it too, I, I feel like you made it so clear how they're all interconnected and how they all need each other, which I thought was really awesome. So going off of that, I wanted to ask why you decided to take the counseling route now that we're kind of aware of the differences between both. To be honest, is that psychiatry is a um, path where you have to go to med school and that is just a big undertaking, especially if you're not, you know, 100% sold on a commitment like that. And to be honest, I knew that I wanted to do something with mental health, but I thought that was a little too sciencey for me. I really wanted to focus like on talk therapy and being able to connect with people one-on-one. And I kind of liked that more than the medical model of diagnosing that kind of felt, at least to me, it felt a little bit disconnected. And for me, I knew that one of the strengths of mine that I wanted to lean into was my ability to connect with people so and talk to people. So that was kind of what drew me to counseling. And then once I landed in this program, um, I actually ended up hearing about this program from a professor that I had in undergrad. And she was actually a PhD student. At, I went to Boston College for undergrad. So she went to Boston College for undergrad and then did this program as her master's program and became licensed and then went back to do her PhD at Boston College. So she told me about this program and was telling me how it's great because in two years you can get licensed as both a school counselor and as a um, professional mental health counselor. So she was just, you know, singing its praises. And I had at that point been considering counseling. I wasn't totally sold on it. I knew immediately in undergrad, I was in the, the school of education and I was doing a major called applied psychology and human development. And I loved it. Like I, I started out my freshman year having no idea that I would end up in the school of education. I thought that was, you know, just for teachers. And I I didn't know really what it had to offer. I just thought it wasn't for me. But I started taking psych classes in the School of Arts and Sciences, which I, I did like those classes. But I ended up, you know, by chance taking one class in the School of Education. It was called Family, School and Society. And I absolutely loved it. I was sold on it. It was like these small class sizes, a really welcoming environment where the professors in the School of Education knew like all the students by name. And this was such a stark contrast to like the lectures I was taking freshman year with like 300 people never getting to talk to the professor, that kind of thing. Really ended up loving the School of Education. And I had really great professors and mentors there. And it just so happened that, you know, I think a lot of times, even just talking to my friends that are, you know, from college and that are our age, 
I feel like a lot of times we try to plan things out, but you know, life, you never know what's going to happen. And a lot of times I feel like things just happen through talking to the people that you know, and sort of stumbling upon certain things like that. So yeah, it was just, I felt really lucky that I had her as a professor and that she told me about it. And I immediately was sold. I started doing research like on their website and I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so that's kind of how I've landed where I'm at. And to be honest, as I kind of mentioned how it's hard to distinguish between the professions, even for people that are in the field, believe it or not, I didn't really know the difference between counseling and being a psychologist. I knew generally, but I didn't know specifically that much. And now that I am here in this program, I do think it just ended up being a great fit. And I think what excites me about it is this strength-based approach to therapy. I did research as an undergrad on purpose development and positive youth development. And those are concepts that are really, really leaning into strength-based approaches as opposed to deficit-based approaches, which, you know, when you talk about adolescent psychology, a lot of times people would say, um, uh, they'd they'd look at all these risk factors that adolescents would have, things like risky behaviors, like, you know, underage binge drinking, unprotected sex, all these issues. And people weren't, people talked about adolescents like they were just sort of prone to having all of these risky behaviors and these things that would negatively impact them. And then, you know, there's been a push recently to focus on their strengths as opposed to these weaknesses and these risks. And I thought that I really appreciated that. I mean, if we want to cycle back to, you know, our experience in high school, (laughs) I definitely think that um, that would have been a useful approach to look at, you know, what some of the low points that we had or what we were going through. So that really, really resonated with me. So I'm just really happy to be in a profession where, you know, that kind of identity of, of, us as professionals is to focus and lean into strengths um, as opposed to sort of diagnosing and focusing on weaknesses or fixing something that's quote unquote like wrong with you. So I'm really happy to be where I'm at and I'm, I'm most excited to be, yeah, taking this this strength-based approach because I, I think it's really important and can be extremely helpful. Yeah, I love that. And so much of what you said I resonate with. I think Just the other day, pretty recently, I was talking to a friend whose younger brother is right now struggling with his mental health, his social skills, and he's in high school, and, you know, high school sucks sometimes. It can be really hard with especially things like social interactions. Listening to the way he spoke about his little brother, I got emotional. I started crying because he just was talking about this kid like he was helpless, like he was never going to make it, like, and it broke my heart because it put me back to in the shoes of me being in high school when I was a mess and, like, my family kind of viewed me in the same way, like, seeing all of my weaknesses, all of my risks, everything that was quote-unquote wrong with me, and just how much worse that made me feel. And obviously now in this present moment, I'm, I know my own worth and my own ability and my own strengths, but it's like, I got so emotional because I was like, this is not how you should be talking about your brother. Like if he knew 
that you thought this way of him, it would break him. I was like, you should be hyping him up. Like, yeah, pointing out his strengths, like reminding him that he can get through this and like, we'll be okay. I was like, looking at this guy, I'm like, you and I have both been super depressed. Like we've both been through really deep times and we made it out and look at us now we're doing fine. I guess what you're doing, it makes me really happy that that's happening and that more and more people are leaning into it because I felt it, like you said, we felt it in high school. And that's such um, a holistic approach in, in my eyes as well. And I really like that. When you spoke about connection and wanting to build connection with people and community and talk and really like see through that you are firsthand helping people with something that they're going through. And I think for me, that was a big reason why I started doing health coaching this summer as well. I quarantine gave me a lot of time to think about like my why. And I knew I liked teaching yoga, but I really wanted to do a deeper dive into why I like teaching yoga. And I found similar things that I really liked the connection. I liked meeting people. I liked talking through things with people and seeing people grow and see in themselves everything that I see in them. And that's what ultimately led me saying, okay, like I need to do more Not that yoga isn't fulfilling and enough in its own, but for me personally, I was like, I need to find something else. Like I need to do more. I need to be able to connect one-on-one with people, which led me to coaching. And yesterday I was FaceTiming Kayla, who is our other best friend from high school. We were a little squad and she is teaching kids how to snowboard and ski in Vermont right now. And she was saying a similar thing to you and I about connecting and just like watching people grow and seeing the joy on their face when they see how good they can be at something and they see themselves grow. And I started getting emotional when you were talking because I was like, I'm probably going to get emotional again, but there must be something that draws people to want to share and want to give like that love and education and knowledge and support to someone else and like in different ways in our own lives like the three of us lack that support in our childhood and our experience and really it gets me emotional and warms my heart to see that like three people who could have taken that lack of support one way took it and decided like to find it for themselves on their own and to then give it back anyway and to help everyone else have it too it makes me wonder, you know, sometimes and I spoke with a girl about this in a different podcast. Sometimes people say like in order to be great, like most people who are great have been through hell or have been through hardship and have overcome obstacles and have gained resilience and empathy from those experiences that have helped them become great. And we talked about like, does that need to happen? Like, do we need to have these really super heavy experiences in order to grow in such a personal way and to be able to help other people grow in that same way. And we talked about how it's really all relative and there is no need to compare like, like, or define what is a really heavy experience. And, you know, like we all have them in our own selves, but that being said, it still does take a certain individual to take those experiences and to grow from them and to give back from them. And so I just, can't help but notice how special it is that the three of us through all of our separate ways that we've gone and all of the trials we've overcome have just only come out stronger and with bigger hearts and more to give. And 
I appreciate you and all oh, that, that you're was, doing. That was, wow, so thank you. you and I, that. that was beautifully put. I completely and wholeheartedly agree with everything that you're saying. I feel like as you were speaking, literally like thinking of the words like resilience and empathy, and then you literally just like said them as soon as I was thinking them. So I feel like we're totally on the same page. And I, I think that you're doing incredible things. I think Kayla's doing incredible things. And I'm, I am really proud of us and can't help but think about, as I mentioned, sort of the research I did on purpose and how that to me has been really, really defining and just identifying what it is that gives you, that makes you passionate about life and what it is that kind of drives you through life. And, you know, I think that you saying like the common thread that you're seeing between us, this human connection piece, I think that that is, you know, I think that that is our, our purpose. I, I think that, um, I mean, everybody has a different purpose, but I, I definitely would identify my sense of purpose being in my connection to people and relationships with people and understanding and empathizing with people. And um, I think that once you sort of discern what it is that makes you feel really excited about life and what, you know, gets you out of bed in the morning and makes you passionate about what you're doing. And it doesn't have to be a profession. It doesn't have to be specifically like outlined like that. And that's another thing too. I think sometimes when you ask people like, what is your life's purpose? That is such a big overwhelming question. And it doesn't have to be one specific thing. And it can be something as not, not necessarily vague. That's not the right word, but it can be something just human connection, anything that sort of just helps you orient, you know, your life and it helps you make decisions once you feel that you have a sense of purpose. And I think that it's a really, really powerful thing. And what we found in our research is that purpose is the one thing this totally goes into what you were saying. Having a strong, concrete sense of purpose is more indicative of success and happiness than a lot of other external factors. You can overcome and be resilient with having a sense of purpose. Um, you can overcome so much, even more than, you know, certain even financial factors or education levels. What really like overcomes all of that is having um, a sense of purpose. And I think that's super powerful. And I think that it just sort of all connects with what you were saying. So I'm just really happy. I agree to like take this moment right now to just look back on how far we've come. And uh, sometimes you just have to consciously like reflect, take time to reflect on your growth. And it's really incredible to see like what, you know, how, how much humans can adapt and grow from experiences that are difficult. And yeah, I think it's, it is really a beautiful thing. I am like continuously passionate and like bubbling with excitement about all of this stuff is just like you said, humans are constantly showing up in miraculous ways and through all of the destruction and horrible, horrible things going around in this world today and every day and always the empathy is like the only thing that keeps me sane like holding on to the fact that we are all capable of that self-reflection and that self-discovery and, and building resilience and overcoming obstacles and finding more love within yourself. Like, I, I just think it's beautiful. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I agree when you talk about purpose that I think 
Like, uh, I think it's very presumptuous of me. And it's not like I go around saying this to people, but I, in my heart and through yoga philosophy too, it's just like, that's what we believe is the human purpose, like to work on yourself, to find inner peace, to then go out and help everyone else find it too. And obviously I'm not saying, uh, I'm not here to say like, that's it, but just in my heart, that is why I share what I do because I want more and more people to feel it for themselves. When you start your journey with counseling, do you know, and I'm sure you can say something now and it might change within the day or next year, but just for conversational purposes and curiosity, do you think that you plan to bring in this research that you've done? Like, I'm just, cause I'm curious, I'm not sure how it all works. If like when you start counseling, you have to follow a certain company's protocol, or if you can sit down like with your clients and one-on-one take on the approach that you think's best. And like, if you plan to bring in like your research that you've done on your own time, each counselor can sort of personalize it, their approach to counseling and sort of, you know, it's a lot of it is just in the moment. There's only so much training that you can have because every single individual is on their own unique journey through life and you never know what you're going to encounter. So it is a lot of it's left up to just sort of in the moment, leaving it to your own discretion, how you want to handle certain situations, how you want to approach certain situations. And so much of it, another really important part of that distinguishes counselors, um, sometimes from, you know, psychiatrists or other professionals is that, you know, actually, I don't want to, that's speaking pretty generally, I don't want to, you know, make any uh, definitive claims there. But in general, sort of the direction that counseling is going towards is that it is very client centered approach. So you always want to be thinking about each individual client and that they are the expert of their own experience. I think in the beginning of you know, when, when counseling was, um, the early stages of the field, you kind of think of a lot of people think of Freud and psychoanalysis and, you know, someone laying on a couch and like not making eye contact with the counselor and the counselor just sort of having them like free associate that kind of thing. (laughs) And, you know, psychoanalysis, I mean, I am a fan of certain aspects of psychoanalysis, but the field of counseling has definitely made huge strides in the direction of the importance of the therapeutic alliance, just the relationship that you have with your client being the most important thing. I definitely think that my approach is is going to be like relying on this client-centered sort of understanding. And as you mentioned before, sort of the idea of a holistic approach. I think that is so, so, so important to understanding people is understanding their background and understanding their upbringing, their environment. I think that you cannot understand mental health without considering society, culture, their direct environment, their relationships, all of that kind of thing. So I would say that is my approach is just really going to put be to put the client at the center of the experience and to really listen to them and take their perspective. And I've always thought that the reason that I feel that I will be successful as a counselor is that something I've learned to do is be a very good at taking other people's perspectives. And I think that is because growing up, 
So my mom is a Chinese immigrant and my dad is like a third generation Italian American. Um, and they really could not be more different when it comes to their worldviews, just the way that they think and approach situations. <laughs> and so growing up, I really had to sort of understand both of their perspectives. And I sort of had to oscillate between these two really, really different people and understandings of the world. And I think that really gave me a perspective growing up that helped me connect to other people. When I kind of have mentioned how I really enjoy talking to people and connecting with people. And I do think that's because every time I meet someone, I'm always, always so curious about their their background and their upbringing and, you know, why they think about the, like how they think about the world and why they think about the world. And, you know, growing up, it was kind of hard, honestly, with my parents thinking so differently. And really the only thing they had in common was that, you know, they did not really like that I was sensitive and they never wanted to talk about emotion. I think that's pretty common of Asian culture, specifically like older generations. It's I'm happy that it's changing now, but you know, my mom's generation definitely never talks about emotions. They think that showing your emotions is a sign of weakness, similar to my dad's sort of, you know, hyper masculine type of outlook. So I was always pretty ashamed of it. And I think that getting older, kind of realizing, even though it was an experience that was difficult growing up and being told, like, you're too sensitive, you're, you know, you're being too weak, like, you can't let people see you cry, like, all these things, it made me realize that actually I had, I was in a unique position to be able to take other people's perspectives. And because of that experience, I think that I really just tried to empathize with others. And actually, now I want to work with um, Chinese immigrants, because I see such a stark difference between sort of, you know, my mom's way of life and how I've come to realize the importance of connection and how, you know, never showing vulnerability or showing your emotions. I think it really stunts a lot of your relationships. So not to say that it's, there's a right way or a wrong way, all of it's embedded in culture. And that I think is hugely important and you can't necessarily say what's right or what's wrong, but I do think that there is sort of an incongruence between if Chinese immigrants come here and things are, you know, culturally a lot different or specifically children of immigrants, which was my experience. I think it can be really hard when your parents have like such a different point of view than uh, you do. So my approach to counseling is so informed by my experiences and it's so informed by also the research and what I've learned in undergrad and now and I think that I'm going to use all of that. And what I love about counseling is that it is, you can tailor the approach to what you see fit. And for me, that's, those are the tenants that are the most important to me. I definitely see myself using my experience and my research in my counseling. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. When you mentioned, you said you are the expert of your own experience. And it just made me flash back to when I did have a psychiatrist. I had a psychiatrist at Penn, Penn Medicine. And it was, I remember the first time any doctor, any therapist I had ever seen or worked with said that and validated that I was the expert of my own experience. I had gone to that summer, um, I think it was summer either, either after freshman or sophomore year and I was seeing different therapists and psychiatrists as well all summer. And I was trying to explain to them what I was feeling, what I was experiencing, that I had a pretty good idea 
I thought of what was going on with me. And I had all of them look me in the eyes and say things like, I'm not buying that. Or no, I don't think that's the case. Or just completely invalidating that I had any sense of self-awareness or expertise on my own body. And I finally went to this doctor at Penn and I told her, I was like, oh, like, mom, this is the last time I'm going in there and sharing my story to be rejected. Like, I swear to God. (laughs) And I went in, I shared my story. And she was just like, yeah, I think you're right. I think that makes a lot of sense. It seems like you've taken the time to think about this and are aware of what you're feeling. And I think you're absolutely right. And I felt so seen and empowered. Uh, It makes me excited because it just seems like you're in a really, really awesome program to hear that we are leaning in more and that it's growing and growing to put the client's experience first. My personal story plays such a big role in it. I think growing up, I never, I wasn't a kid who knew exactly what I wanted to do growing up. I kind of always changed that answer whenever somebody would ask me, what do you want to be when you're older? I, yeah, I just, I knew I was interested in you know, when I got older, I knew I was interested in people and understanding how people think. I knew I liked psychology, but it wasn't really clear to me until I think I had a moment of clarity when I was actually a freshman in college. At least it wasn't clarity in the sense that I knew exactly what my career path was going to be. But I do remember this. We had actually I took a class called Courage to Know, which was literally just a class for freshmen about adjusting to college life, talking about who we were as people, who we wanted to be, how did we get there, those kinds of questions, which I thought was awesome that they offered that. And I remember there was a career counselor that came in and, you know, I never really was expecting to take it seriously, but she comes over and is talking to me and we have this like strengths worksheet and it was all these different sort of areas where people could have strengths and you're supposed to circle the top three and I remember it was something along the lines of like communication empathy like people skills something like that and she comes over and looks at it and she's like that looks just like what mine did she's like I did this exercise too and she's like do you know what you want to do and I was like I have no idea I like psychology that's my anticipated major but I don't know but the thing is these skills I don't really know how they translate into anything in high school I was good at a lot of things academically I mean I I was in like the honors classes I took AP classes but I never felt like I was the best like I never had one thing that really just like fired me up aside from you know I think most of my free time was probably spent you know talking to my friends a lot of people I feel like came to me for advice and called me sort of like jokingly would call me like the therapist of the group or whatever. But I never thought that, you know, I think that a lot of times this might be part of, you know, the U.S. education system, but you kind of think like, oh, what are you good at in school? How does that translate to a career? And it seems like it should be very formulaic and sort of just one path type thing. But she was like, you looked at my sheet and she was like, you know that you can turn those skills into a career. And I don't know why it took someone to say that to me for me to like have that aha moment. But I never thought, I just remember growing up, you know, sort of going back to my upbringing, my parents always being on my back about, 
one being super emotional, being a little bit too sensitive, always been such an emotional person. And my parents were so strict about grades. I just remember my parents were always on my back for being too social. They would be, they, you know, every time I would go out, they're like, you should be studying. Why aren't you focused on your grades? Every night I feel like I'd be FaceTiming, you know, different people whenever they needed help. I always wanted to help. And They just always were on my back. They'd take my phone from me and they just really made me feel like it was a weakness how social I was and how many different connections I was able to maintain. And I remember even leaving high school, I had gone to GI for 14 years. And so I was very emotional to leave. And I just remember my dad being like, why do you care so much? Like, this won't mean anything to you. Your relationships won't mean anything to you in a few years from now, which I'm proud to say that's not true. I still very much care about my high school friends if it's not evident through this podcast. I always was thought I was thought my sensitivity and my emotional, <laughs> how emotional I was, my being social, wanting to have connections with many people. I always thought that was like such a weak point that I had. But this woman, this random woman that came to this class just told me, lean into that, that those are strengths. Not everyone has those strengths you can make a career out of that. And I think that was really a turning point. That's what it took for me to realize that I could, I could, you know, do something with that. And I think too, I was afraid to talk about mental health with my parents. There were definitely very, very low points that I had in high school. I definitely struggled with like eating and eating habits and my body image, which was a result of, you know, just a lot of, a lot of emotional sort of mental health things that I think that I had going on, but I would never want to ask my parents to see a counselor because they would not understand that. And so I think that all of these sort of things have made me realize that this is how I can make a difference in the world. And I can use these strengths that I have and to just empower myself and realize that these are strengths and that I should be proud of the fact that I have this sense of empathy and that I am so sensitive and that I cry all the time. And that is okay. Something to be celebrated and something I can leverage. And I appreciate you listening to my story and giving me a platform as well to sort of share my story. Honestly, so proud to see just how far you have come. I think it's amazing. And I just know you're going to continue to do such, such wonderful things. And it just makes me, I'm seriously like beaming right now. I'm so happy. And it's been so nice to talk to you. And I guess the thing I just want to leave this with is to, you know, remind (laughs) everyone, we talk about self-care we being just, I feel like the general public talks about self-care a lot, but it is really, really important, especially in this pandemic. Obviously, life is challenging always, but especially right now, there's so many things going on in the world. So I would just encourage everyone to find ways that they can relax and do things for themselves. Mental health is so important. And as you know, as we've been saying, cannot be and should not be overlooked so yeah that's that's kind of what I wanted to leave everyone with and just to say thank you again for having me this has been great thank you so much Amanda and thank you everyone for listening my name is Shane Cerebi your podcast host on back to basic breath I'll see you next time